to season four, episode 107 of the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregg. We're from tolovehonorandvacuum.com. And on this podcast, we like to strip away everything that we hear about marriage that doesn't really lead us to God and instead focus on what builds our relationships and builds um, our health and walk with Jesus. Yep. We took the month of July off. Yes. And we are back. I am here with my ever-increasing daughter, Rebecca. Yes, for those of you who are listening, it's because I am pregnant, uh, and I'm just getting very, very large. My son is watching classic Veggie Tales with me, and Barbara Manatee is just hitting in a whole other way. So, yes, but we are excited, and as um, we open this new season, I thought we could start with a little bit of a victory dance, because yes. we don't do that enough. We took July off because I was tired, and I, I shared a little bit about how I was tired, and I was a little bit down, and then a bunch of stuff happened in July, and I feel like we have turned the corner a bit. Mm-hmm. Our tagline for our book, The Great Sex Rescue, which was out in March, was we're changing the evangelical conversation about sex. And that was our goal. We surveyed over 20,000 women and we did a massive study at what evangelical teachings hurt women's marital and sexual satisfaction and which ones help them. And that is all in the Great Sex Rescue. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we just want to do a bit of a victory dance here. Yeah, so let's share some examples that we're talking about. So first of all, let me just say the book's still doing really well. Yeah. And that's been tremendously encouraging. Yes. Especially I keep hearing from pastors who have read it and who are using it, and that makes me super happy. Mm -hmm. So as well as all kinds of women who um, it's really changed their marriage, and I'll share... I'll share one of those at the end. So that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Second thing, right as soon as we said we were going on vacation, something happened which I would have done an entire podcast about. Oh, yeah. And some of you can probably already know what we're going to talk about just by saying that. Yes. But Matthew West, Christian (laughs) singer Matthew West, put out a song, which he has since taken down, called Modest is Hottest. Yes. it It was supposed to be a parody song that uh, a dad was telling his two teenage daughters to dress a modest. little bit more Amish and a little less Kardashian. Right. More, more Amish, a little less Kardashian. And he said he meant it as a parody to make fun of how dads are so protective of their daughters. Yeah. But there was a huge backlash Well, because frankly, it didn't really come off that way. It felt a little bit like he was saying this actually is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, but we're not going to get into the controversy of it. No. Um, We've written a lot and talked a lot about modesty stuff and why the current no typical modesty message just isn't cutting it. And we have an amazing podcast that we did episode 79, which I will put a link to, which you can Mm -hmm. listen to. Can we please stop talking about lust and modesty and end the stumbling block debate for good? Yeah. So I will put a link to that. We've already said it all. We're not going to say it again. What we are going to say, though, is that it's really interesting seeing that now when something like that happens, people get pushed back Mm -hmm. because that would not have been the case seven years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, that wouldn't have been the case you know, when we started talking about this stuff. Yeah. Usually, actually, we started talking about it, we got a ton of pushback. Yes. And now we still get some, of course, because there's still people who talk about it this way. But now it seems like people are really realizing, oh, this is like really damaging theology that's hurt a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And we're not standing for it anymore. So it's just really interesting that Matthew West literally got so much negative feedback for this song that he actually removed it. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is incredible. And there's there's two things Becca mentioned that I want to point out because there's two aspects mm-hmm. to this. The first is that when something is said, people notice that it's wrong. Yeah, that's and that's, so that's big. That's big. But the second is that they say something about it. Yes. Because I think people have been noticing it and feeling it for a while, but no one felt like they could speak up because they felt like they were the only one. Yes. And now I feel like the floodgates are starting to open. So I have some stories from readers, like from individuals who are speaking up in their own little spheres. Like Mm -hmm. it's easy for us to look at modest as hottest, and that's a news story. But what about when it comes down to people in their own daily lives? This was from Facebook. Mm -hmm. A woman left a Facebook comment um, with this scenario. Her daughter and her best friend, they had moved, one had moved, I don't know which one, but they no longer lived in the same town. And so the mom had arranged for the daughter to go to camp with this best friend mm-hmm. because it was a chance for them to be together this summer. Yeah, after. it was a big service of like camp yeah. thing. So this was going to be a good thing. This was how she could see her best friend. So that was the point of going to this camp. It wasn't to go to the camp per se. It was to see the best friend. And then she writes this. Oh man, my daughter is signed up to be part of a big serve event with a partner organization of our church. They just sent out the dress code. Had I seen it before I paid the money, she wouldn't have ever been signed up. I replied to the email asking all sorts of why questions around their policies. I also assured them I would not be measuring her shorts in seam and I would take great issue if any of them did. I actually feel sorry for the person who gets that email Monday morning and will have to try to back up their terribly thought out non-biblical dress code. I'm not convinced I'll be sending her yet. It will depend on how receptive they are. Yeah. So here's a mom and she gets what is what many parents get in Mm -hmm. the summer is your kids going to camp and you get an email about the girls dress code. Yeah. And quite often what we get is no two piece bathing suits, no anything, but the guys can wear whatever they want. Yeah. So that's that's usually the debate. But in this case, it wasn't about bathing suits. It was length of shorts. And they're like that to the inch. Yeah. So she decided that she was going to speak up and do something about it. And this is what's really cool. So let me let me read you the second part of this. I shared my concerns with the organization and encouraged them that dress codes should only be in order to advise what to wear for comfort, like sun protection, or safety, like closed-toed shoes, and that any that are sexually driven are problematic. They told me that many of the dress codes were because the agencies the children would be serving with had their own policies to which they as guests needed to adhere to. They gave an example of a local agency that works a lot with our homeless population and shared that due to the trauma many of these clients have been through, they don't have the self-control to not say something inappropriate. So this agency has found that higher necklines and longer shorts helps alleviate this. I pointed out that though I know these clients need help and I want them to get it, if they do not have self-control to not sexually harass someone or worse, they are at best to be cared for under the direction of trained adult staff, not underage children who are relying on an extra two inches of fabric on their shorts or shirts to protect them. I questioned if this could really be considered a safe environment for children and that perhaps this youth organization is to reevaluate whom they will partner with for these service weeks. I got a lovely response today. We appreciate this dialogue and the concerns you have brought up. We are intentionally reevaluating which organizations we partner with and are committing to investing more time into this topic. My daughter will be serving on a team that does not work with any organizations with problematic dress codes. So yes, it's worth it to fight against these teachings that harm our children of any gender. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is they say, well, it's not us. It's because they might get assaulted if they don't wear the right clothes. It's like, well, then you shouldn't be bringing kids there. 
Yeah. Point blank. Yeah. So I thought like, way to go, mom. Yeah, that's great. And that's what we're seeing is like, and this is what we want people to understand is when you, when your church is doing something that you think is wrong, whether it's to do with your kids or your women's ministry, your men's ministry, whatever it is, speak up. We got an email from another woman who their church was going to put on a love and respect conference. And she shared with her deacon many of the concerns that she had with the mm-hmm. book. And the deacon didn't agree, but he invited her to speak to the whole board. And she yep. did. She took our rubric and our scorecard and our open letter to focus on the family and explained it all to them. So um, we will again put in our show notes um, the link to our rubric and scorecard for love and respect and for all of the books that we looked at and you can also see that in the great sex rescue yep yeah and also remember like if you're speaking up and and the church doesn't listen or something happens like that's not your fault right that's not your fault but at least you spoke up so it's now on their head and it might also help you to evaluate whether or not the church is safe this is a safe church for you and your family as well because yep. that's a good that's a good way to judge it you know mm-hmm. do they do they understand when things are harmful yep. so but again people are actually speaking up Another thing that I'm finding, I find this really funny, mm-hmm. is people are tagging me all the time. Like, and I don't mind when people do this, but um, there'll be something really inflammatory, or someone will say something really funny, or or what often happens is someone will recommend one of the books that we know is harmful, and they will tag me and say, you know, the Great Sex Rescue Survey of 20,000 Women found that this was one of the most harmful resources. Sheila Greger, would you like to say something about this? And so. I'm just finding that increasingly I'm seeing whenever people are trying to share harmful things, somebody is, is there in the comments sharing our data. Yeah. yeah. So please keep doing that. Please keep sharing our data because I really do think that a lot of times the data can get through. Yep. Here's an example, just a recent one. A guy named Victor Marks. I don't know who he is. He has a lot of followers, so probably I should know who he is. I don't know. But he shared this Instagram graphic, which said, in counseling thousands of couples over the years, I'm surprised at how much sex a woman will have before marriage and how little after marriage. That is truly Satan's plan. And sadly, so many of you are following it. Yes. And like, I swear, like five or six people tagged me in that right away. Most people. So, (laughs) very funny. So, you know, like, I I just feel like the tide is turning. And people, when they see problematic stuff, they're not just letting it pass by anymore. They're actually speaking up and they're speaking back and they're pushing back. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what? It's not really about tagging me. That's not the point. The point is that people are pushing back and they're saying something. Exactly. And so that means that we are changing the conversation. Yeah, because it means we're going to hopefully have a new norm. And so here's the big one. Here's the big one. Here's the big one. There is a podcast that Christianity Today has been putting out called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Probably by the time our podcast goes live, there will have been six episodes. Probably. At the time that we're recording this, there's only been five. Yeah. And I listened to the first two, mm-hmm. and they were really interesting. What, it, what, what happened at Mars Hill was a pastor named Mark Driscoll started the church in his early 20s. Very charismatic guy, extremely good speaker. He can speak extemporaneously, so he doesn't need notes. Like he just has a vague idea of what he's going to say. And then he gets up there and he just, he speaks with great power. Mm -hmm. He sounds like he speaks with great authority. And he was really promoting strong manhood, strong masculinity, calling men to be men. He preached in jeans, yeah. Um, he was known as the cussing pastor for a while. I don't, I don't know how, many, how much he actually swore. I, I think that was kind of like what he was called, but I don't know how yeah. much he actually swore. But anyway, but he was willing to talk about sex. And he talked about sex a lot. 
Yes, he did. Um, and his church grew and grew and grew. It had mega satellites, many thousands and thousands of people going on a Sunday morning. But there was a lot of harm being done at the same time because he was really a bully and he was very spiritually abusive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what he said was very misogynistic. Oh my gosh, yes. Extremely. And the church eventually fell apart because enough elders and pastors had left or been forced out or been humiliated that eventually people couldn't handle it anymore. The elders tried to get Mark to go under a spiritual discipline process where he would address some of his weaknesses. And instead of doing that, he quit, moved to Arizona where he started a new church, which is also very problematic. And Julie Royce has been covering that well. And Mars Hill fell apart. Some of the churches went independent, some of the satellites, but basically thousands of people left the church. Yep. And it's really, it's really tragic. And so what Christianity Today is trying to do is have an accounting. Like, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. How did somebody who was so spiritually abusive, who was such a bully, <laughs> how did he get such a huge following? And he's not the only one. James McDonald, very similar story. Yes. Um, Doug Wilson still has a big church. Yes, Doug Wilson, very similar. And I think they were all friends too, probably. Yeah, probably. John Piper, I mean, his church, Bethlehem Baptist, has recently imploded for Mm -hmm. pastors uh, leaving for very similar reasons. Yeah. Um, And so Christianity Today is taking a look at Mars Hill as an example of why is it that these megachurches attract spiritually abusive, narcissistic pastors? And what is it about evangelicalism that is attracted Mm -hmm. to spiritually abusive, narcissistic pastors. So I listened to the first two and I I did like them. I thought they could have gone further. I, I, I felt a little bit like they were criticizing the messenger without criticizing the message enough. Yes. They were criticizing the, what's the word instead of substance, like the the way packaging? he was doing it. Yeah, like the packaging or the yeah. the method rather than um, the substance of what he was saying. Whereas I actually think the issue more is the substance. And Kyle Howard um, has done an amazing thread on that, which I will also link because I think it's important as just another way of looking at this, at this series. That being said, episode five, yeah. <laughs> they titled it The Things We Do to Women. And it took a little bit of a closer look at how Mark Driscoll treated women. Yes. How he said women are not allowed to work outside the home. They should be having lots of babies. If they're not having babies, the men, the husbands need to get a hold of their wives and lead their wives better. They need to have sex. Uh, he said that a woman giving a man oral sex is biblical and that if she isn't, she should fall on her knees and repent and service him. He said that in a sermon in Edinburgh, that uh, women should be stripping for their husbands, again, said in a sermon. Um, all kinds of things like this. Nothing about consent, nothing about sex being mutual. So sex being about her as well. Yeah. You know, he, he goes on about how I, I laughed at this because you, I, I was listening to episode five while you were working in my living room. So I was listening to it in the earphones and he said the line about how a woman giving a man oral sex is biblical. And I'm like, Rebecca, he never said the other way. Yeah, exactly. If we had listened to the sermon that would have gone in the great sex rescue. Yeah. Because you know what? 95% of men, pretty much, unless there's erectile dysfunction involved. Or another serious issue. Reach orgasm during intercourse. Very, very few women do. For yeah. most women, oral sex is a more reliable yeah. route to orgasm. And to stress it one way and not the other is highly problematic. Yep. Let alone 
but the, I mean, the bigger issue, of course, is telling a woman who does not want to perform oral sex that, that she is in sin. That she has to. And that she is in sin if she says no. Yeah. So it's really good to see people speaking up about this. Mm-hmm. Because we've said for a long time that we wanted to change the conversation about sex. And I feel like coming out of the evangelical world, there's so much about sexual abuse. Yeah. Which is great. We want to talk about sexual abuse and all the terrible things that have happened. And we've talked a lot about purity culture. Yes. And the harms of purity culture, which is great. We want to talk about purity culture. But very few people have actually been talking about what is actually taught to women who are married. Yeah. And that's going to include the regular old normal marriages where there's not larger abuse issues. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's toxic, not just to victims of abuse. And that's mm-hmm. what's been missing from the conversation. I mean, abuse victims have been missing from the conversation too, of course, but at yeah. least they're starting to get some understanding that we actually have to care about abuse, which is, you know, yeah, very good. Horrifying. It took this long. But we also need to recognize that the systems that are, you know, subjugating women to degrading sex or even telling women they must subject themselves to degrading sex, even if their husbands aren't necessarily asking for it, Mm -hmm. are the same systems that are leading to our rates of marital abuse, that are leading to, you know, young women not knowing that they've been assaulted for mm-hmm. years they're leading to the kinds of things like like the woman who told us in our interviews well two women told us in the, our interviews for the great sex rescue that the first time they had ever been told that that was rape was by their divorce attorney yeah when she was explaining what their marriage was like yeah um and and we heard the stories it was very clearly very assault. clearly assault yeah, and so like, we're just so happy. We're so happy that this is actually being talked about, even if it isn't being talked about perfectly. Yes. As, again, I'll link to Kyle's critique, but I'm just happy it's out there. Yes. And in the middle of this highly depressing episode mm-hmm. of the Mars Hill, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, there's this funny bit. An opportunity for internet meme culture to just have some fun. Yes. There's a few people on Twitter who really took it and ran with it. And we're going to talk to one of them right now. And yes. Okay, so we have Laura Robinson on to join us. And Laura is Hi the guys. chaplain at Ferrum, um, Ferrum College in Virginia. Mm-hmm. She's right? a PhD candidate at Duke University in New Testament. But really your claim to fame is that for the last 36 hours, <laughs> you made us pee our pants. <laughs> viral didn't it people found this very funny which i found really gratifying because i thought it was hilarious so, yes. so yeah. now w- will you please tell the story of of this weird thing yeah yeah, yeah. so there's like a side issue it wasn't the main part of Mars. no it was this little throwaway line no everyone's in, run with yeah in, in episode five there's two back-to-back stories of mark driscoll and then james dobson telling stories of how women trying to pursue a sexual connection with them uh, would have threatened their ministry if they didn't stand tall against it, right? So the Mark Driscoll story, which my friends and I have just been gangbuster texting each other about this, just, it's like a true crime story. Uh, The story he tells is that women, when he was giving communion at church, would put notes in his pocket propositioning him. So I have so many questions about that. Like, how do you put a note in somebody's pocket during communion like you know putting into a gene but that's just yeah i i want to make my husband like stand across from me and i'm going to see if i can figure it out but anyways (laughs) uh, but but the the one that 
was particularly astonishing to me is uh, James Dobson's, and he has the story in print on his website uh, in response to the question, uh, have you ever been tempted to cheat on your wife? And Dr Dobson says, yes, I have been. One time my wife and I were fighting and I went for a drive to clear my head. And a woman uh, was driving alongside me and looked over and smiled at me and like smiled back at me and turned down a side street, clearly indicating I should follow, quote, I didn't take the bait. Yeah. This is incredible. <laughs> this is absolutely incredible. Uh, as near as I can tell, the story is that Dobson was in a car. There was a lady next to him. She smiled. And what Dobson thought he should, was expected to do to the, in response to this was follow a woman home in her car, which is terrifying, <laughs> which is terrifying. How did he think this was going to end? Like you just drive up this lady's driveway and get out and ask. So yeah, so, so what was that about? And, and so, so there's so many layers in which I just think this is the most astonishing thing you know what what is the is the assumption that this lady smiling at him was not just flirting but a, a, an active invitation to i guess public sex unless they were <laughs> going to go back to her house how on earth does this not end if he had followed this woman how does this not end with the cops being it, uh, it doesn't. I don't know how. I don't know how. So wherever this lady is going, like the, the best case scenario is she's going to the grocery store, right? And this is a public place and he just like parks in there and he's like, so are we going to do this? You know, like that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is they go back to her house and this guy is still behind her, which is like serial killer stuff, right? So there, there's so many layers on which this is, so concerning. There's the paucity of data that this lady was trying to seduce him, that she smiled at him. There is the uh, brazenness of her assumed request that they're gonna, he's gonna cheat on his wife today with this person who's he's never spoken to. <laughs> um, and the, the consequences of what would have happened if he hadn't stopped himself yeah. is, are, are, are literally criminal. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> so I, I just, I, I mean, I just like paused the podcast and just had to go take a walk around my house and settle myself. You know, <laughs> what is this? And then you wrote, well, then you, when you did that, then you wrote that just in a really, really yeah. funny tweet thread, which we'll, we'll yeah. link for people. <laughs> Laura has quite a few. I, I follow you on Twitter, obviously. Yes. I think you've seen that. <laughs> I've been getting a lot of really funny one-liners that show up on your show. <laughs> Um, but when I read that, I just was laughing so hard and I quoted <laughs> and just said, you know, mentally doing the calculations to figure out how many men I have unwittingly attempted. Oh, yeah. James Dobson? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And it, it, it is such a minor signal to set. So my other theory, and I, I wrote another tweet thread about this. My theory is that this story was born in an argument after the fact. That this is the kind of thing you tell your partner that, you know, I could have cheated on you after we got in an argument. Like, mm -hmm. with who? With the, the lady at the stoplight. She wanted me to follow her. <laughs> you know, like, this is, this just doesn't seem like something... I, I don't know that that's where the, that's how it sounds to me so after your thread um hashtag i didn't At, take the bait i did take the bait yeah has gone quite big 
Um, yeah. And I will just, I will read a few of them. Oh, I had them up already. Oh, Matt, t- my buddy Matt Teason started this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The cashier at Walmart asked if I found everything I was looking for today. Hashtag, I didn't take the bait. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Potential seductress at Costco entrance asked to see my membership card. Hashtag, I didn't take the bait. <laughs> Becca Eckert posted, Potential seductress at PetSmart asked for my rewards phone number. <laughs> Hashtag, I didn't take the bait. Okay, and then this one, this one was my favorite from today. Potential seductress at the restaurant asked if I wanted anything else. (laughs) 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 Yes, that's that's Alan. That is definitely that is a double adopter. (laughs) I just love that. Oh, that's funny. But this all comes down to the reason. Like this, this has just been such a fun. I mean, and we can talk about the disturbing undertones of this in a minute. But it's just been kind of fun oh it's really silly laugh at how ridiculous this is right because i I, in in a lot of what we do for work you know we talk about really really serious stuff all the time we talk about marital rape we talk about you know assault we talk about all these horrible things yeah and then every now and then someone this this, something this gift from heaven that we can all laugh at yeah you know we are allowed to just laugh sometimes yeah So to turn serious, the bigger question is, is there an issue with Christian men in particular, assuming that women are always propositioning them or open for sex? And I I wonder how much the Billy Graham rule plays into I think, I think you're really onto something. I think not to get too graphic about it, but it's, I think that the, 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 uh, an unlikely explanation is the fact that, uh, James Dobson has a repeated problem with women being irresistibly attracted to him. Right. You know, he's a, he's a very ordinary looking, he, he's a very ordinary looking man. He's, you know, he's at, um, uh, he looks like somebody at most churches, you know, and, um, my, in my experience with my guy friends, women tend to not be sexually forward in uh, initiative taking in the way that is described in the story, mm-hmm. right? So I think, um, it, it, I think there's a lot of reasons uh, cult- culturally why that's true. The thing that I don't think is possible is that this is a thing that is actually a problem for pastors. This, that's the thing I really don't, I don't believe it. I just don't. Uh, I, just, I know too many women and uh and too many men uh you know my husband's a pastor and you know i don't i don't normally shake out the sex notes from his pants before i wash them you know so that's <laughs> not really a, a yeah. problem we have exactly. so. yeah and i agree that i don't think this is as pressing and no permanent and constant of an issue no. as it's portrayed to be yeah um, and that doesn't mean that there are never going to be any women right who try to Once in a blue moon, don't for know sure. that that's gonna happen mm-hmm. for sure but I think what has happened yeah. is that we've created a culture in which it's almost holier to expect that every woman wants to sleep with yes. you because yes. then you act like women are a threat, which means you look like you're acting like your, your purity and your marriage is your yes. Really, what you're doing is you're dehumanizing and objectifying the women around you. Well, and that's exactly what the Billy Graham rule does, right? It's an easy way to posture that you are taking extraordinary measures to protect yourself, right? And I think if the prote- if the protection you need is quite dire, then it's a lot more impressive. I I, I also think um, the the thing that I think is really noticeable with this is the male writers 
interior reality being the measure of all things and comparing in, in understanding the world entirely through the lens of men who see the world basically the same way right you know so like one thing that is totally absent from this is any indication of this woman's perspective like how she might have been experiencing the same situation right which is to me um that's very foreign to me the idea that you would have any kind of social interaction and never think at all about how the other person experience that same thing. Uh, but I think that's exactly what's happening here, right? Like this one is not narrated as a whole person. She is narrated entirely as threat. She is narrated entirely as um, supporting bit character in the drama of his own life yeah. from the perspective of the protagonist. So I, I think it's a it's a radically self-centered way to go through the world too, that the, the idea that other people have reasons for doing things or are experiencing life at the same time you are is not part of this. I think that's really noticeable that women don't really have an interiority in this world in the way they're talking. I remember so. I was I was a guest on a Zoom. Um, it was a graduate class in a seminary. And yeah. so there was like dozens and dozens of people on the Zoom window, all very, very tiny. The lecturer was asking me about the Billy Graham rule. And I paused <laughs> for a minute and I said, I think what men need to tell themselves more is she really doesn't want to sleep with you. No, no, no. And I saw all of the women go, and all of the men were like, you know. <laughs> well, and, and again, I think it's the interiority thing. Do you know what the Bechdel test is? No. This is a, a film criticism uh, thing that comes from uh, Bechdel, the lady who wrote Fun Home, that grades movies based on how often in the movie two women talk to each other about anything besides a man it can be shoes it can be shopping it can, it can make still up be vapid and it, sexy, yes it just has to be not a man very 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 few movies pass this test very 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 few and i think that's really revealing that as a culture the way our discourse operates and the way we narrate things we don't really sincerely think women think about things besides men you know yeah. like and so i i think when you when you talk about things like the billy graham war this story you know you have men who think about women a lot. You have men thinking about women and sex all the time. And there's just this immediate assumption that all that is being returned, right? So, you know, like when you look over at a car and you see a woman who you think is attractive, of course she's looking at you and thinking the same thing. Of course she wants the same thing. So I, I think that's where you, you have this cultural creation of the idea that women don't really have interior lives of their own and don't really think about things um, in their own needs and their own desires. They're just thinking about men. Yeah. I do wonder how much of this blindness and evangelicalism specifically is because of how much we are encouraged to not have platonic male yeah. female friendships, especially yeah. when you're married. And how many of us get married incredibly young? Like I got married yeah. incredibly young. Yeah. yeah. I got married at 20. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got married at 21. Yeah. I know? think James Dobson married very, very early as well. Yeah. And so how really? much of this I wonder is like you grow up and you're supposed to be separate from the other sex and then you find, yeah. you find you're one person, then you're them. And then you never really talk to anyone else yeah. um, who's the other yeah. sex, unless it's very careful. It's in mixed groups. You don't have close emotional yeah. friendships mm -hmm. with some of the other sex. And so well, of course, yeah. it kind of seems like everyone, and the reason you're not allowed to do that is because everyone of the opposite sex is a threat to your marriage. If you actually do know them, if you do mm -hmm. really enjoy their company, if you do talk to them, then you might have an emotional affair. 
Yeah. Right. right. It's not even yeah. just that you might have sex with them. You're not even yeah. allowed to get emotionally close. You're, this not constant, yeah. You're not allowed to think about who they are as a person. You're not allowed to connect yeah. with them as a person in mm-hmm. the same way, because then you might slip into an emotional affair. I just think that we have a very unhealthy idea mm-hmm. entirely yeah. around this. And so I think that it's not really a hot skip and a jump to think every single time a woman looks at me, they're going to want to hurt my marriage because you've been yeah. so thrilled. Because what else could they be doing? What else, yeah. you know? Yeah, that I think that's, yeah, I think that is definitely, I, I got married at 30. So, you know, I spent a lot of my 20s being friends with guys, being friends with girls. So a lot of this stuff is really strange to me, you know, especially because I spent the last few years in uh, mainline churches, mainline spaces, um, where a lot of this stuff doesn't exist. And I do think it's just, I think it's as powerful as, um, um, once you have an expectation that platonic relationships between men and women can exist, uh, once you have like real intimacy in a marriage that's not controlled by like hierarchical interests or, you know, that, or that mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, I think it breaks down a lot of this stuff really fast and reveals women to be fully human, which yeah. I don't think a lot of evangelical churches really think. Yeah. So Amy yeah. Bird has a great book about this. And I'm going to put a link to it because I love Amy Bird and the, the podcast notes that goes along with this, a great book about male-female friendships. Um, mm-hmm. I do have another theory. This is yeah. the last one that I'll throw out. Yeah, yeah. And it's that a lot of men have never had the chance to be rejected. Once again, this is my theory. This is not yours. Huh. This is plagiarism. Rebecca has a theory. <laughs> Which I am going to pass off as my own. Okay. Um, okay. And make myself sound smart. All right. Which is <laughs> my theory. And I know this yeah. is my theory because my husband and I were talking about it. And I, this is when I first brought it up. Yes. Anyway, yeah. so my theory is that in the evangelical church, the way we do dating, the way we do relationships, the way we do male female dynamics, yeah. men do not have an, a, have an opportunity to experience sexual rejection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead, huh. they're taught from day one, as soon as they hit puberty, not like day one, yeah. like you're out of the womb day one, but like yeah. puberty day one, they're taught all these women are out to get your purity. You're going to see pornography. Yeah. There's all these horribly sexualized women who are sexualizing themselves because they know that it can control you and they know what their bodies can do mm-hmm. and yeah. they're all out to get you to look at them so that they can get more power. And there are yeah. gonna be girls who are trying to get you to go huh. too far because they want to control you in this way and they want to get something from you. And, and the guys are, are are warned about the seductress female yeah from like age 11 mm-hmm. that's really <laughs> interesting but unlike the non-christian dudes at their high school who are trying to get laid yeah they're actively yeah. trying not to to yeah and so you have like trevor who's not a christian who's 17 and he's like yeah. you know i'd like to have some consensual sex with the member yeah and he's hitting on girls and he's asking them out and he's you know trying to see if they want to have sex with him and he's getting no's meanwhile you have Jonah who's at youth group and who's like I can't have sex I don't want to have sex there's everything around me is so sexualized I have to stay away from sex as much as possible by the time Trevor's like 24 he's got a pretty healthy list of women who don't want to sleep with him and he right. has confirmation. These right. women do not want to sleep with me. <laughs> that is so interesting. And I think you're totally right. That mm-hmm. like a culture of, you know, because I actually think a lot of men in their early 20s do experience women at a distance because of the rejection thing. You know, like there's this goal to try to approach them. And I, I don't I don't hear any hint of that in the way that like Mark Driscoll talks about women, right? You know, that, that there is this, 
that doesn't exist. So I, my, and my husband's an adult convert to Christianity and he converted to PCUSA. So pretty mainline. And just all this is bonkers to him. Right. You know, like when I, when we get together with uh, my buddies who grew up evangelical, like I did, and we start swapping stories, this is just the, it's just total culture shock, you know? And, And I think people often lose track of just how different this is from the way most American Canadian kids grow up and just how strange these structures are um yeah exactly because I think I think that it's not that Christian boys don't experience rejection like they Mm -hmm. have crushes on girls who don't have a crush on them back Mm -hmm. but emotional rejection is very different than just flat out sexual rejection yeah like you have you are not having your good Christian guys going into a club and trying to literally find a one-night stand right you know and so because of that there's always a possibility they could go to a club and just have a one night stand. They don't realize that a lot of guys can't. That's actually not right. A lot of guys try and they don't do it. That's not right. And so there's, I think that there's just a level where you read these books like through a man's eyes, you where mm-hmm. Shanti Feldon and Craig Gross, uh, they mm-hmm. make this composite character, Jack, and talk about what he goes through in a day for temptation. And everywhere he turns, there are women who are trying to seduce him or there's it's temptation. Like, and it's like, she doesn't want to sleep with you. They wish, they wish. Like, this person doesn't want to sleep with you. Guarantee that if you propose yeah. this person, they probably wouldn't want to sleep with you. And it's not because you're not a attractive person it's not because you're a bad person it's not because you're not desirable it's just because most women do not want to sleep there's a there's so many cultural reasons why not there's so many you know like just basic basic safety health you know (laughs) babies there is a level where we have in essence created this expectation among many evangelical men that all you need to do to have sex is find the lucky lady to do it with. And that's not reality. And you can ask any dude who's struggling to get laid, who's not a Christian. (laughs) That's not how the world works. One thing this also reminds me of a bit is when you have guys who get married young and divorce in their early 30s just because they feel like they missed out on the single guy thing. I've seen this happen a couple of times in in in, in my communities where the 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 guy walks uh because he wants to go experience being single and it's not it's 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 not that. It's not that, you know, like that's just not what it's like. Uh, I mean, gosh, anyone who, you know, like I said, I, I didn't meet my husband until I was 27, you know, and just being single is not the sort of like walk from one successful engagement to another. It's, no. you know, dating is very hard. Yeah. Dating, you know, finding someone who is mutually interested is, is, uh, is a lot of uh, trial and error and catch and release. It's just not like that. Uh, yeah. I think some people just never find that out. And I just think the continued sexualization of women and, and, seeing women only as sexual beings has yeah. just created this really weird thing where you think yeah. that just because she smiles at you she's asking yeah. here's some sex and this, this yeah. totally pornified worldview where yeah. everything is yeah everything is charged that way and that's yeah. just not what it's like so yeah. thank you laura for writing yeah. for coming on that was great absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah no for sure good to meet you guys we'll put your twitter tag in there too so people yeah can sounds good sounds good okay that was kind of funny yes it was it was funny and and i do need to say maybe 
she actually did proposition him. There may have been more to the story than he told. But from what he told, the only thing she did was smile and then, and turn, then away turn away from, from him. From him. <laughs> just, and you know what? Some of you, like, you know, I know we're laughing at the dude. It's just warranted. Let's just, yeah. we, we can laugh when a guy is like, woman smiled at me, therefore she wants... She wanted me to follow her to have sex somewhere in public. Yeah. Or something. You know, let's have some self-awareness, dudes. And I just want to reiterate to most men who are listening, she doesn't want to sleep with you. (laughs) And also, you don't need to have every single woman want to jump your bones Mm -hmm. to be desirable and lovable. And manly. And manly. It's only your wife who really matters yeah don't think that it's either every woman wants to sleep with you or no one does kind of thing like no i know men struggle with self-esteem in this area too so okay couple of announcements before we move on yes um first of all thank you so much to our patrons yes we have a patreon which is a way that you can support us like you give just a very very small amount of money or big if you want but it doesn't need to be big every month and it helps fund not this podcast and not my blog because those are already self-funded but it helps fund our research so the money goes Mm -hmm. to rebecca and to joanna our other co-author for the great sex rescue yeah so most people who are doing research to the level that what Joanna is doing for our studies are working with universities. Mm-hmm. Where know? they have some sort of a stipend or... Yeah, yeah. They, they ha- they're salaried. They're mm-hmm. salaried professors. Maybe they have big government grants for their stuff, but we can't get that because mm-hmm. of what we do and the nature of how we do it. We're not going to universities. We're not doing our PhDs. You yep. know, both of us are staying home with our kids while we do this. And so that's just not an option. And so the patrons are making it possible because there are big expenses yes. every month and there's time and uh, it's just been so amazing. And then my side of it is more dissemination of knowledge. and uh, Through other social media channels. And so, you know, we have a really active Facebook group for our patrons. Yes. Extra podcasts. Yes, there's an exclusive podcast for patrons that we post to twice a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been great. Yeah, so, so if you are interested, we'll put the link in the podcast notes that go along with this. It is patreon.com slash bare marriage, and you can join our community, and we would so appreciate it. One other thing, I, I okay, when I used to meet people mm-hmm. in public, when I, back when I used to speak, <laughs> before COVID, when yes, I would travel. before the great darkness. I used to have people say, oh my gosh, I love reading your blog. Yeah. Like, I, I love your blog posts. I've learned so much, and that's what I heard over and over again. For the last, like, two years, what I have heard, and it isn't only because I, I don't speak anymore. It's just through emails or, or Instagram Instagram or whatever. I hear, oh, my gosh, I love your podcast. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh, I listen to all your podcasts, which is wonderful. I am so glad all of you are listening to the podcast. <laughs> that makes me very happy. Thank you for being here. Spread the word. Please rate it wherever you listen to it. But the thing is... <laughs> I still write four other blog posts a week um, besides just the podcast post. And so please don't forget about the blog. We get a lot of reader questions into the blog. I often answer them on the blog, not just on this podcast. And we got a lot of reader questions, listener questions for the podcast that we've already addressed on the blog really recently. Yeah. Like for instance, one just came in about sex toys. How do I feel about sex toys? And Rebecca, you'll be grateful to know I am not going to make you answer that right now. Sounds wonderful. Yes, because. 
because I already answered it on the blog. So we will put a link to the sex toys question. We also dealt with some issues that singles might be interested in mm-hmm. last week on the blog about the problem of being strung along. Mm-hmm. You know, that feeling like you're texting them all the time. They don't text you. Do they really like you? When can you text them again? Oh. That whole friend ationship thing. That whole thing that frankly... It's, it's the reason everyone wants to meet their person, so you never have to do that again. Exactly. It's just horrible. So um, please go check out the blog. And to give you an incentive to do that, um, if you are on our email list, you can either get the blog post delivered to you daily in your inbox, or you can get the roundup. Mm-hmm. Every week on Friday, Rebecca writes a special thing that sort of summarizes the week and gives you all five blog posts. You can click through any that interest you. And we're going to start giving something away yeah. to people who subscribe to the email so in the podcast notes this week there will be a link where you can subscribe to our email list and next week we will be giving away a copy of the orgasm course two copies actually one yay one to someone who signed up for the email list in the last week just a random person and one to someone who has already been signed up exactly so who has already been signed up and has opened an email in the last month Yes. Yes. So you have to you have to open the emails and you have to be signed up and you could win an orgasm course next week. So find that link, fill it out and join the email list. We have something else to talk about. Okay. And I think this sets up a great way to begin this series, this new season. And it is the idea of what I am going to call the fourth reformation. All right. It might be the second reformation. It really depends on how we're measuring this It stuff. might be the sixth reformation. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're the one who has taken church history courses. So do you want to explain what it is that I'm trying to talk about? It's generally, and I know there's going to be some historians from different perspectives than my professors who are going to disagree with me on this, <laughs> but it's generally kind of been accepted that every 500 years or so, the church goes through a really big shift. The most recent one, of course, is in the 1500s with Luther. Mm-hmm. Right, Martin Luther nails his 99 theses to the Wittenberg door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, you know, in, in essence, he breaks up the church from the Orthodox Catholic Church into mm-hmm. um, what is now the Lutheran tradition and yes. uh, the, the Catholic Church. Well, that was the first kind of split, was the Protestant Reformation. Right. Um, which hit the direct line from mm-hmm. Luther's stuff turned into Lutheranism. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, we had Zwingli. We had yeah. Knox. We There's had lots more. Henry VIII, which wasn't really a religious thing, but turned into a religious thing. <laughs> yes. Lots of lots so, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We're not saying. Yeah. But, <sighs> but what happened was Luther kind of did that first big split in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Now we're we're we've had lots of different denominations come out of that. Yes. But really, that's that's the last huge earth shattering. The church looks different in mm-hmm. 1600 than it does in 1500 mm-hmm. in a way that just didn't happen again right. since. Mm-hmm. One of the first big, big changes in the church, of course, was in 313 mm-hmm. when Constantine made Christianity the state religion. Yes. Specifically, of course, Peter's Christianity. Yes. 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 And because before <laughs> then, before then, Christianity was a subversive movement and was heavily persecuted. Yes. You had lions and Christians and they shouldn't mix, but they did. And yep. things were very bad. And then Constantine converted there's different myths and stories about why. And then he made Christianity the state religion. And then all of a sudden, Christian Christianity took on power. And all kinds of stuff happened. Yes. <laughs> because of that over the next 1200 years before you had the Reformation. Exactly. 
What a lot of people are wondering, and what I have seen a lot of discussion about, yes, is whether we are now in another Reformation. Yeah, if this is the next Reformation, and we'll you'll hear terms like deconstruction mm-hmm. and exvangelical, <laughs> um, and people who say that they are deconstructing their faith. Yeah, and what they mean by that is that they look at all of the things that they grew up with. And they're trying to figure out which which are actually the foundational ones and which ones were toxic or were dangerous and weren't actually of Jesus. And some people are deconstructing entirely and walking away from Jesus. Yeah, the, the idea behind the whole needing of a reformation is it's like when you're on a plane, right? Mm-hmm. Two degrees of difference from your original flight path might work for a decent amount of time, but you're going to end up actually on a totally different part of the planet. Right. Right? And that's kind of the mentality of it's like, okay, like how far back do we have to go until we can actually just recalibrate even just two degrees and end up in a totally different place. Mm -hmm. In Luther's day, when he was talking with the Catholic Church, a lot of that was about the treatment of the poor and of the uh, financial exploitation of people Mm -hmm. that led to, you know, incredibly rich clergy. People who had no money were being told they had to buy their salvation. Right. Um, and that's what was really on Luther's heart. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, Reformed theology and his, his like, theology, a lot of it was about, you know, the personal relationship with God was, in essence, you don't need to buy your way in. It's not, yeah. a, it's not a pay-to-play yeah. faith. And which is very, very good. We're very mm-hmm. grateful for that. The problem is we're now in this space where a lot of people are wondering, have we gone off course? Yeah. And for some people, that's going to mean that they're leaving the faith entirely. For other people, they're just simply re-examining a lot of the tenets of what they believe to try to figure out where they're at. And what I wonder is if you truly believed in Jesus and if you truly had a good view of God in 1510, what would your faith have looked like? Because it may not have looked like you were very devout. Because you may not have been going to services anymore. Because you may have just been completely disenchanted with the church. I mean, just because Luther wrote his 99 Theses does not mean that there were alternate church services available throughout Europe the next week. No. It took decades, if not centuries, (laughs) you know, for many places to have a church that wasn't like the one that Luther was critiquing. And so what people were doing at the time were, was they were reading all these pamphlets. Luther was publishing a ton of pamphlets. What we, they're called pamphlets. They were more like five to 10,000 word little like booklets. Blog posts. Yeah, basically. He was, writing, he was basically a blogger. He was writing yeah. like these, these 2,000 to 4,000 word things constantly. Mm-hmm. And they were being sold by the hundreds of thousands across Europe. And then people who were against Luther would write ones against him and they would be sold by the hundreds of thousands. And so everyone was reading these competing pamphlets. And if you were someone who truly believed in, in Lutheranism, in the reformed gospel, whatever you want to call it, what would your faith have looked like in the days before that church tradition was set up? Yeah. And I think there were likely a lot of families where, you know, there were people uh, who were very devout and who were sticking with the Catholic faith as it Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. You know, and there were people who were similarly as devout in the same family who were very against what the Catholic Church had become. Mm -hmm. And that probably was really difficult the same way that there are a lot of families going through that today. Yeah. And we also want to say, too, that within the Catholic Church, they reformed as well. It's not like the Catholic Church. (laughs) No, we're not. This is not an anti-Catholic. 
Catholic Church podcast in the slightest. No. No. It's just that during that Reformation, during that chaotic time, knowing who was devout was not as easy yes. as it would have been 100 years before that or as it would have been 100 years after that. Yes. Um, it was really hard just to look to, knew, to know who was truly following God. And I think we're going through that right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's causing a lot of people a lot of consternation because people think we're tearing down the church when we're not. Yeah. And a lot of the ways that people get defensive about this reformation process. deconstruction process yeah. can actually reinforce that. So I want to I want to share with our listeners two different comments that came through yes. that illustrate this really well. For some context, um, last week on the blog, I posted some of my thoughts after rereading Elizabeth Elliot's book, Passion and Purity. Elizabeth yes. Elliot was the widow of Jim Elliot. He was one of the five missionaries who was killed in Ecuador in 1956. Their life was made into a movie at the end of the spring of a spear. Um, she wrote a book about it called Through Gates of Splendor. Uh, they were very, very well known. Um, she's passed away now. Obviously, he passed away. He was murdered. Um, but she wrote quite a bit about their life afterwards. And one of the books that she wrote in the 80s, and then it was rewritten later on, was Passion and Purity, talking about their courtship and encouraging girls to do the same. She said, it is to be blunt a book about virginity. So she was telling girls how to remain virgins and how to focus on Christ and not your relationship if you want to have a healthy relationship. And I've been reading a bunch of books that were aimed at young women and teenage girls as we work on our mother-daughter book. And I was quite disturbed as I read it just to see how badly she was treated. Yeah, no, it was it was genuinely an incredibly toxic relationship. Because, and, and I won't go into all the details, you can read it in the blog post, but he basically strung her along. He never would commit to whether or not they were actually in a relationship or they were going to get married, but he kept saying he loved her and then he would pull away. And so for five years, this was very much an on again, off again thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really difficult. And in the middle of this and, and he, cheated him, on her. he ended up kissing a number yeah. of girls. Um, Which I'm sorry, in that, in that kind of Christian realm is cheating on yeah, multiple at, times. This was after they had already processed how guilty he felt for um, letting her take his arm. Yeah. So, you know, this is sort of, and I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is not healthy. And then later that week, the Mars Hill podcast dropped, which we already talked about. On that Mars Hill podcast, uh, Sarah Bessie said some really incredible things about uh, the current, now Sarah Bessie is a progressive Christian author. She wrote Jesus Feminist. Mm -hmm. And her comment that she was making on the podcast is that we're going through a great apocalypse. And what she meant by that was the literal Greek meaning of the word, which is a revealing, that God is revealing what is happening in the church right now. We see it in in the revealing about Driscoll's real character, Ravi Zacharias, all of these big names that have fallen, James McDonald, and and we're seeing the revealing and God is drawing us into a new relationship with himself. So that's what she said. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And then that's the context for this comment. When the writing of progressive feminist Sarah Bessie is proclaimed as wisdom and that of Elizabeth Elliot is in any way disparaged, I think I'm out. I have enjoyed and appreciated your ministry, but this is where we part ways. I will continue to pray for discernment and wisdom for you as well as for myself. Yeah. Okay, now first of all, that was gracious. Yeah. Like if someone's going to leave, that was gracious. I don't have any problem with that. I do, however, (laughs) have a problem with the way that she's framing that. Well, because she's saying, because you are saying this person I disagree with is right and this person that I like is wrong, I'm not going to engage with your arguments. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to talk about what they said. It's just, you like the wrong guy. Yeah. The only thing I said about Sarah Bessie, by the way, was 
that comment about revealing things. And the only thing I said about Elizabeth Elliot was about her relationship. I did not make a comment on anything about her ministry or any, like I, I was talking about very specific things. Yeah. And so here's how I replied to her. Let's go back to the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Galatians 1, 8. Paul is really, really angry at the Galatians because they've been following another gospel. And he says, look, guys, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Mm -hmm. Like he says, even if an angel from heaven showed up and <laughs> gave you a message, okay, you do not listen <laughs> unless unless it lines up with the gospel and so the messenger is not the issue no. the message is the issue yep exactly and we are getting so caught up in tribalism yep on who is the messenger and on making sure we are aligned with the right people that we are missing the message. And this is why the deconstruction movement is going on. Well, and frankly, if you're so focused on making sure you are aligned with quote unquote, the right people, then you have no way of practicing discernment. Mm -hmm. Like you practice discernment once to say, okay, do I like this person or not? And then they're in your brain with this is good person, no matter what, this is mm -hmm. bad person, no matter what. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's I've said a lot of things I don't even agree with now. <laughs> well, I mean, and also there's lots of people who I didn't used to agree with who I do now and vice versa. Yeah. Because you grow and you learn. And to say, because I know this person is quote unquote right and this person is quote unquote wrong means that you don't believe you can grow. You don't believe you need to grow. You don't believe that they can grow. You don't believe that they need to grow. Mm-hmm. Like, and do you see how prideful that is? And I just think this, this seeing the world in an us versus them. They're on yeah. my side. Those people are, are on the other side is what is dividing the church. And it's it really what is, is dividing politics. And it's what is dividing foreign policy. It's what is dividing everything. The us versus them. We need to get back to truth. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. We don't need to be scared of truth. And we should be pursuing truth. And if the truth is that someone you've idolized actually didn't do everything perfectly, mm -hmm. the answer isn't to cover that up. No, it's to confront it and say, it yeah, you know what? In the Bible, people were not perfect. perfect. Yeah, the answer is not to stick your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. <laughs> yeah, like, <you> know. <laughs> Which is, in essence, what, what we do when we say, well, I like that person, so I'm not going to listen to you slander them like that. It's like, no, we're not slandering. We're just pointing out that they weren't perfect. Mm -hmm. And if someone that you don't like says something smart. It doesn't mean that smart thing is not smart. Exactly. <laughs> like at some point we have to realize that in essence, picking just sides on the playground is not the best way to get to the heart of the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Like this, this arbitrary eeny, meeny, miny, mo kind of like, oh, you're with me and you're not because yep. of X arbitrary reason. Yep you know, means that I never have to listen to you. And this is why the whole Mars, Mars Hill fiasco happened to yeah. begin with is because people wouldn't challenge Mark even when he was wrong. Because he was their guy. Because he was their guy. Yeah. And this is how toxic church... Well, it's cult mentality. Let's yeah. just call it what it is. It's cult mentality. It's... Tribalism is cult mentality. When you can't yeah. question the charismatic leader, yeah. it's a cult. Yeah. And that's how we've had all of these scandals which have led to the big deconstruction movement because people are not willing to, to question. Yes. And we need to be willing to question. And when we do question, 
We shouldn't be scared of that. But also, if we question, I actually wonder how much of the deconstruction movement would have been necessary. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the deconstruction stuff that I'm hearing from people is, if I couldn't trust them about this thing, how can I trust them about anything? Yes. If they're willing to have a blind spot for this person, how can I know that they can be truthful about anything? Yeah. Right? And that's that's what we hear over and over again from people where it's like they lied to me about purity culture, about they lied to me about this. They lied to me about that. They knew about X and they didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. So how can I trust them for anything else? And I think that's what we're missing when we choose these sides over, well, they're my person and they're not. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what's the goal? Yeah. Is the goal to make sure some people know that they're not welcome? Mm-hmm. Or is the goal to make sure that we're actually being like the Bereans and we're actually seeking truth? Yeah. Okay, here's the second comment. Yeah. So um, last week, and I will put a link in the podcast notes for this as well, um, Jezebel, which is a big website, <laughs> yes. did a feature article on the Great Sex Rescue. Which is awesome. Which was really good. It's not, I was inter- interviewed by um, Sarah Stancorp, a journalist, a freelance journalist, and she was lovely. I had a mm-hmm. great conversation with her. The article is focuses mostly on our book, but it, it goes back and forth, talks about different trends, interviews other people and other authors as well. It's it's so it's a, a really long article, but really well done about how in evangelicalism sex has been associated with so much anxiety and pain mm-hmm. and how we can get over that. Um, really appreciated that. At the end, she did talk about the deconstruction movement yep. and how many people are reevaluating their faith because of, uh, and it's very messy because of some of these really toxic teachings that have been in the church. Yes. And so I shared this article mm-hmm. and in response, um, a man quoted this. Sheila, I know you are trying to be helpful, but you are being played. Articles like these fuel the narrative that the church is a cult that's focused on oppressing women. I know this was not your intent, but women will read this article and turn away from Jesus. I just, I, I will say, I always find it really funny when people talk about the narrative that the church is a cult that's focused on oppressing women or the narrative that the church hates women. And I'm like, if you think it's a narrative, can you give me solid proof that it's not? Because <laughs> yes. I, I think none of us are, are saying that every church is a part of a mm-hmm. cultish culture that oppresses women but enough are that mars it's hill was mars hill was and i'm mm-hmm. sorry there is no way to describe the kinds of dynamic that love and respect wants out of a husband and wife relationship other than in essence a, a, a mm-hmm. cultish sex-based power play yeah like it's just that is in essence like we have done the thing where the plane was off by two degrees somewhere mm-hmm. along the line and now we're like supposed to be in zambia and we ended up in new zealand yeah and like <laughs> yeah you know like there's there's something going on and that's the problem and why don't yeah. why don't we let our co-author answer this one so joanna left a great comment oh yes joanna as did. did as did like many many people many 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 other people yes. chimed in on facebook but joanna our co-author for the great sex rescue left a neat one and since yeah. she isn't here to be on this podcast we will give her her voice she said i've received similar pushback when i've talked openly about bad actors in evangelicalism with non-christians but here's the thing the world already knows about the church's hypocrisy it's mm-hmm. not news what is news is reforming telling the stories of those who have been hurt and calling the church to actually pull up its socks and follow the jesus they purport to know telling the truth is what the prophets did all through the bible 
Jesus said that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, and if we have to sweep the truth under the rug to protect the reputation of an institution, then where does that leave us? Yeah, and I think when people get worried that speaking up about bad churches will cause people to leave the church, I do have to question how stupid do you think people are? Yeah. Like, if you're in a good, healthy church, and the people are not being harmed by your good, healthy church, and they're being helped by it. Why would they leave? People are not going to leave. So if people are hearing about the abuse in the church, and then they're realizing, oh my goodness, that happened to me, and leaving, maybe your church wasn't good. Yeah. Maybe your church was part of the really gross, culty ones. Yeah. And, the, and you know, the way that we protect the church is not by protecting the church. It's by doing what Jesus did yeah. and protecting people. Yeah. When we protect people... That's how we protect the true church. And the problem is that many of our institutions that call themselves churches are not currently protecting people. They're actively hurting people. And that's why there's a deconstruction movement going on. Now, that being said, mm-hmm. there's another side to this. Yeah, there is. You've been going through a big deconstruction process oh, yeah. in the last few years. <laughs> but one of the reasons that you're able to hold on to Jesus and that you know, you're able to think about these things really well is also because of the church. So it's like, even though the church hurt you, Mm -hmm. and it did, being part of that church community also gave you the foundation and the tools you need to hold on to your faith now. And so it's a very, it's, it's not an easy thing. No, it's not. And I think there's a lot of people in the same, in the same boat where like you can leave, like I have a lot of friends who are totally like not going back to church. Mm -hmm. They love Jesus. Yeah. And we need to say, too, we are going back to church when COVID... I have no idea where because COVID has thrown everything. Yeah, we have have lists of things we want to try once things open up in Ontario, which they're not yet. No, but I... But but my... And I'll I'll kind of explain a bit of my my parenting philosophy here Mm -hmm. because this is what I think a lot of it boils down to for me. We all have this psychological bias to see ourselves as the exception. Mm-hmm. right? Oh, well, this doesn't work for anyone else, but I could probably do it. You know, like, well, I, I know that most people couldn't handle an 80 hour work week the rest of their life, but maybe if I just work hard, I can do it without burning out. No, you're going to burn out, sweetie. You're not an exception. Right. Mm-hmm. So my parenting philosophy with a lot of things has just been, my son is a statistic. Mm-hmm. You know, because we hear that time, your kid is not a statistic. Your kid isn't a statistic. And it's like, okay, that can be helpful mm-hmm. in some situations. Mm-hmm. But statistically speaking, your child is a statistic. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> most know? likely outcome is still the most likely outcome. Exactly. It's like yeah. you can definitely do things to make sure you're in a different boat. But yeah. let's not be so proud to think that we are all the exceptions. Mm-hmm. And when you're going through this whole thing, at least for me as a mom, um, when you're going through this whole deconstruction thing where it's like, okay, your whole world is upside down. You have no idea where you're going to go next. You don't know what's happening or how to kind of handle this. Mm-hmm. And then you're throwing a kid into the mix. You're like, but I want him to grow up knowing Jesus. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And frankly, I look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not going to like a lot of people. Like a lot of people are not going to like that. But the numbers do show that yeah. going to church is protective. Yep. Like, going to church, being involved in community, being raised in the faith, uh, better mental health. Like, and we're not even just talking about virginity here. We're talking better mental health. Mm -hmm. We're talking happier. 
We're talking subjectively. You feel that your life is better. Yeah, and when Becca says we're not talking about virginity, she just just like what I'm saying is like the silly purity, the silly purity. Yeah, like like when people say like, oh, well, being in church is good. A lot of times when you're in the deconstruction, well, what you hear is, oh, well, at least my kid didn't sleep around in high school. It's like no, I'm not even talking about that. Mm-hmm. Even not talking about the more legalistic things, mm-hmm. even just the subjective, how do you feel about your life? Yeah. There is so many positives in being part of a church culture for the majority of people. Right. Okay. So like to just throw everything out <laughs> and say that my, like, my kid is going to be worse off if he's in a church or she's in a church is actually statistically unlikely. Right. However, yeah. there's another side to this. Where if you're in a church that we know is really, really bad. Yes. It is probably worse. Yes. But for the most part, like what that shows me, what the stats show me is that most churches are not churning out cult survivors. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of churches that are actually genuinely healthy because when you do studies on cults, they do not have the same results. Right. We need to be careful that we're able to grasp both realities at once mm-hmm. where the church is broken yeah. right now because mm-hmm. even the good churches that are healthy and safe are not speaking up about the bad ones yes and that is wrong yes that is wrong because mm-hmm. what we found in our research is that a lot of people are in really healthy churches and reading really unhealthy books and they have no way of knowing that those books are going to be dangerous until after they've affected their marriage yeah and that is where churches need to step up yeah because if you are a pastor at a healthy church where you're trying to teach people about the grace and love of christ in every aspect of their lives mm-hmm. and you are sending them to read every man's battle mm-hmm you just undone your work. Yep. And again, I went to a good church yep. that truly believed that women and men were partners, mm-hmm. equal partners in everything, and they hosted a love and respect conference. It, yep. it was not in line with the with what they believed yep. because the leadership had not actually looked into it. Someone came to them and said, hey, can I host a love and respect conference? And they said, sure. And they hadn't looked into it. Because, because of tribalism. Yeah. Because it's Christian, so it's good. It's, yeah. And not just that, it's evangelical Christian, so it's good. And yeah. we're evangelical Christian, so it must be good. Yeah. When we say things like every church is always terrible, we discount truth. Yeah. Because the numbers really don't lie. The numbers don't lie. and that's... But when you also say things like, well, my church is healthy, and so therefore everyone who's deconstructing is just being ridiculous, you're also ignoring truth, mm-hmm. which is that we found... That, you know, marital rape is way too common yes. among Christian marriages. And it is because of our marriage resources. It is because yeah. of things that women have been told God wants them to do. Yeah. These both can exist. The church can both be a blessing. And also, it can be really, really broken right now. Mm-hmm. And the next few decades are going to really be chaotic. Yeah. And it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And so as we're in the middle of that chaos, I think my prayer and my request to all, everyone listening is that we keep our eyes on truth mm-hmm. and that we give people a lot of grace. And yeah. remember that the goal is not to get everybody else back in a church. No. The goal is to make our churches places that truly reflect Christ. Yeah, the goal is that people are healthy. And the way that we protect the church is to protect the body of Christ. Because the real church is the people. It isn't our particular institution or building. Yeah. And we need to be willing to let go of our idols in order 
to rescue the sheep. And there are a lot is, of people for whom the church is a major idol. Yep. So we don't know what in the next in the next decade or two, we aren't going to be able to tell who's devout and who's not <laughs> just by looking at our typical measures. No, we're really not. And that's going to make a lot of people really uncomfortable. But truth, people, truth. <laughs> Let's keep Jesus front and center. You know, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that is what we're supposed to do. Let's mm-hmm. keep him front and center. That's going to look different for everybody because of our own experiences. Um, but let's not be scared of what's happening and let's not try to stop what's happening. I believe this movement is of God. Mm-hmm. In Sarah Bessie's words, it is an apocalypse. <laughs> he is shaking and things are all going to shake out in a different way. And I think that's kind of exciting. I think it's a neat place to live in. It's confusing, but it's neat. Yeah, and, and I just hope that it leads to a church body where, you know, we get back to the basics of Jesus mm-hmm. so that people like my son can grow up in a much healthier church than we did. All right, I want to end with an encouraging email. This okay. is a long one. It's quite the story. I like to throw these in just to, just to bring us back to the work that we're doing. So a woman wrote, I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks now and loving it. Again, she listens to yes. the podcast, but doesn't read the blog. (laughs) Sign up in the podcast notes to to get our emails. My husband and I both grew up in Baptist churches that from the pulpit teach very biblically. But I grew up with a youth pastor and his wife who were huge on the boys are crazy lustful and it's up to the girls in the youth group to protect them by being modest message. They had tons of boys, no girls. My husband wasn't in church as much as I was growing up and he did end up addicted to porn. I don't remember if it was before or after he started going to church in his late teens but his youth pastor went through every man's battle with him and the other guys from the youth group. He also had us read the For Men Only, For Women Only books before we got married. We went to Bible college and Love and Respect was a required reading in our Christian Homes class. All that to tell you, I married someone with a disgusting view of sex and its purposes. I had a terribly unhealthy view of what my role as a Christian wife was, and even on our wedding day, I was already regretting not walking away when I first met him. Our marriage has never been what I had dreamed it would be. I'm not a hopeless romantic. I don't expect fairy tales and Hollywood perfect relationships, but I did expect friendship. I did expect closeness and one flesh and knowing each other in the biblical sense of the word. We didn't have any of that. And after three years of marriage, we weren't even having sex once a month. He never complained, but I can't imagine that was actually fulfilling. After I found your podcast, we would listen together and he wasn't a fan. (laughs) He's always bristled at someone saying someone he respects could be wrong on anything. But I told him about the orgasm course and the great sex rescue, and he couldn't disagree for one second that our sex life needed a major overhaul. We bought the audio version of the great sex rescue. By the way, I read that. That's actually my voice if you get it. And, And I think I did a pretty good job. Anyway. I haven't listened. I haven't had time to listen. But it's anyway, so she bought the audio version and they've been listening when they ride in the car together since sitting and reading a book with a toddler running around is probably the trickiest thing ever. <laughs> We're only a few chapters in, but I'm so thankful to say we finally had actual sex last night instead of just three minutes to let him do his thing so we could go to bed. After three years of mediocre sex or none at all, I finally experienced an orgasm. Perhaps TMI, but I give 100% credit to the work you and your team are doing that's great i'm happy for her (laughs) way to go here we are deconstructing and orgasms yep that's what we do that's how we'll end it sign up for our email list you could win a copy of the orgasm course we will give that away next week on the podcast thank you for joining us for season four and remember to rate and review this podcast and please read the blog every now and then too (laughs) see you later